devil is in the detail. This is a favourite saying of an engineer I once worked with. He was a great blue sky thinker with lots of terrific ideas. And as we dug into those ideas together, some of them shone. They were brilliant. But there were other ideas where we'd get to a point where he'd eventually say something like this. Ah, the devil's in the detail. But, but here's the thing. This was the only time the devil was ever mentioned in that workplace. Now, now we worked in a great organisation. It, it prided itself on science and investigation. But in that little group of people that I worked with, at least, there was never any mention of the devil or the evil forces that might be at work in the world. As we kick off today, I wonder what you think. Is there such a thing as a personified devil? Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Carl. I'm the pastor at Trinity Church Unley, and it's great to be with you again today. Today, we've come to the end of our time in this look at the book of Ephesians. I really hope you've benefited from the last six to seven weeks. You know, in one sense, Ephesians is is not an easy book, but we've made it through, well, very nearly. And today we find ourselves in a fantastic cosmic battleground that just brings together so much of what we've already learnt from this book. I should say as well that of course there is much that has been left unsaid so far in the book of Ephesians. Can I encourage you to keep reading this letter? If you're in a community group, and I really hope you are, there'll be lots of opportunities to keep wrestling with this letter and and lots of opportunity to apply this letter to your own lives. There is, of course, lots more that could be said about marriage, lots more that could be said about how we live our lives. As I said last week, Jason Lim has written some excellent Bible study guides and some notes on Ephesians to help you keep thinking through these passages. Your community groups will be working through those Bible studies if you're in a community group, but even if you're not, you can still make use of that material. If you'd like to get a copy of Jason's notes or a a copy of his studies, please just send me an email and I'll forward those on to you. Well, here we are, nearly at the end of the letter. And it ends with a really powerful conclusion. In these last few words, Paul draws upon the rest of the letter. He mentions the mighty power of God and, and the putting on of a new set of clothing. This time it's armor. And I think these words in the last section are both about theology and about application. And yet, they also present something that some of us might just have not given much thought to. See, Paul talks about the devil's schemes, and he tells us that that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that word for struggle that you see there in verse 12, if you've got your Bibles open, it's a really interesting word because it it doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament, but it was commonly used in the first century to describe a wrestling match. So that gives a bit of an insight into what's going on here. This is the sort of struggle that you can't stand back from. It's a a kind of grab your opponent in any way you can kind of struggle. It's, It's gritty and it's sweaty. And it's hard fought. 
That's what we're looking at this morning. And you might be thinking at this point, are you serious? Wrestling with a demon? Wrestling with dark spiritual forces? Oh, we don't do that here in Unley or in this polite part of Adelaide. But Paul clearly wants us to see that there is more to life than what we can just taste and touch. He's telling us here in this last part of Ephesians that we're caught up in a cosmic battle. Now, over the years, I imagine that a few of you have read C.S. Lewis's book called The Screwtape Letters. He starts with a really interesting observation. It's actually in the preface of this book. This is what C.S. Lewis says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. See, two extremes. Either we disbelieve the existence of dark forces or we feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Now, it's tempting when you hear something like that to think that the right place then is to find your spot in the middle ground between the two extremes. But today, I don't want you to be seeking out the middle ground. What I want you to do instead is to see the reality of the spiritual battle in which we find ourselves. The reality of a a personal devil. And I'd also like you to see the craftiness of the devil's schemes. I'd like you to see that this is a wrestling match in which we're going to need help. But, it's a big but, at the same time, I want you to know that in this battle with the spiritual forces, the outcome is already known. God is in control. The battle has been won. And and all that remains now, is for us to take our stand in God's power, wearing his armour, as we wait for Christ's uncontested rule to be made known. Now today, I'm super grateful for the work of Tim Keller in particular, and and also Andrew Hurd, who have spoken so helpfully about these topics in the past. I'm standing today again on their shoulders. And this morning, really following on with Tim Keller, I want to cover just three things with you. Firstly, I want us to spend a bit of time getting to know our opponent. Who is the devil that we're wrestling with? Then I want to spend a bit of time uh, looking at just one of the words in this passage. Schemes. I want to ask this question with you. What are the devil's schemes? And finally, we'll take a look at some of these schemes And think about how the armour might help us to stand. Well, let's start by reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you haven't got your Bibles open, let me encourage you to get them and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What's Paul talking about here? The devil's schemes, the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world. You might be wondering this morning, 
Is there such a thing as the devil and the demons? But as I read this, it doesn't seem like Paul's pulling our leg. Rather, it seems more like he's wrapping up this letter with a really important call for action. And that call is, take your stand. I think one way that people might read this letter is to see these dark forces as kind of inanimate, impersonal and vague things that kind of happen in the background. I've been uh, reading Mark Roberts' commentary on the book of Ephesians as we've worked our way through this series. And he sums up this idea really well. He says that he was, he once thought this way as well. Here's what he says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing to some extent of what he says. This is Mark Roberts speaking. Back when I was in grade school, I developed a way of thinking and, and reading about the New Testament that, that didn't ignore the principalities and powers that Paul mentions in Ephesians 6 but did interpret them in a way that made sense to my rationalistic and scientific worldview. See, for Mark, the principalities and the powers of this dark world was was just a a pre-scientific way of thinking about things like economics and psychology and, and sociology. Those forces that kind of operate somewhere in the background, but we're never quite sure where they are or who they are or what they are. Do you think that's what Paul's talking about here when he speaks of the evil forces that we wrestle with, things like economics and sociology, or some people describe it as the machine, the machine in the background? Now, most of us have been raised in a materialistic world where the the spiritual aspect of life has been minimalized, and so that kind of thinking fits in with this. But, But when I read Ephesians 6, It seems to be saying that there's a cosmic battle that's just raging all around us. seems to be saying that the devil is wily or crafty in a schema. Not that he's an inanimate machine just kind of doing something in the background. It seems that Paul envisages and knows a real spiritual world that has real spiritual rulers and authorities and powers and evil forces. This thinking, it's not new in Ephesians chapter 6. We saw it back in chapter 2. We read there that we used to follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We used to at one time, before we were saved, follow those evil forces. So the spiritual world in Ephesians, it's always been there. It's always been on view. We might not be able to touch the spiritual world, but it's in the biblical worldview. It includes a spiritual world. Now, at one level, I think most of us kind of get this. I think most of us think of ourselves as both physical and spiritual. That's how we're made. You know, we were created from dust, and then we had spirit kind of blown into us by God. We know ourselves as both body and spirit. Now, I think about, say, Matthew chapter chapter 10, verse 28, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, Do, Do not, not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, I think it's the Bible's message that we are both physical and spiritual. That we are both body and soul. And the story of the Bible is is a story that includes a spiritual world. It's very much a reality. And in that spiritual world, there are powers that are evil. We are, according to Ephesians chapter 6, in a struggle with those evil powers. 
And I want you to see this morning that those evil powers, they are a formidable foe. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter tells us to be sober-minded and watchful because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil's not a cartoon character with a pitchfork in one hand. No, he's a roaring lion. And yet, at the same time, the Bible's really clear about this. Although there is a spiritual battle raging all around us, the outcome of that battle has never been questioned. God has always been absolutely in control. Jesus reigns supreme in his death and resurrection. The evil powers have been defeated. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews is towards the end of your Bibles. I'd love you to come and see this verse with me because it's really important. This is what it says. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The devil's been defeated by Jesus. So let me summarize this first point with you. The Bible presents the reality of a spiritual world. In that spiritual world, there are both forces for good and forces for evil. Ephesians helps us to see that we struggle against the devil and the forces of evil. It helps us to see that spiritual warfare is a real thing, but at the same time, we already know the outcome of that spiritual war. Christ has won and Satan has been defeated. C.S. Lewis says, don't make the mistake of thinking that the supernatural and the spiritual world is all made up or a fable. Don't think of it as a distant, inanimate force like economics. I think that's a trick. The devil's crafty and a schemer. And yet at the same time, we're not to look for demons under every rock because ultimately Christ has won the war. That's the first point from today. The second point is this. It's worth knowing what the devil's schemes look like so we can take our stand against them. See, according to Paul, we're in a a spiritual wrestling match, a war, a battle, a fight. Now, I don't know if you know who Sun Tzu is, but he was a great Chinese military strategist and writer and a philosopher. It was Sun Tzu who said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. Now, he's wrong, of course, when it comes to spiritual warfare, because we not fear, we not need fear the result of battles, because we have God who has all things in control. We need not fear the outcome of a hundred battles, not because we know our enemy, but because we know the outcome of those battles already. God is victorious. And yet at the same time, Sun Tzu is kind of right in one sense. Knowing how the enemy works will help us as we put on the armour that God gives. I wonder what you think the devil's schemes are. So far in Ephesians, I think we've already seen a few of these potential schemes. We saw them back in chapter 4. Remember back in chapter 4, verse 27, we saw that Satan's schemes might include things like influencing us through uncontrolled anger. Or perhaps 
leading us to tell lies and not speak the truth. The devil might also help us use our tongue for, for unwholesome talk. The purpose of his schemes, or wiles as some translations put it, is to stop us from pursuing the cause of Christ. So generally speaking, how does the devil do this? Well, I pick up this from Andrew Hurd and Tim Keller. But there's a clue in his name. The word devil, at least in the original language, means liar. The devil's schemes are schemes that involve lies. He works, I think, not through yelling lies, but rather whispering lies into our lives. Now, we all know what a lie is. I might ask Hamish, my youngest, did you eat that Tim Tam? And he might look up at me with big round eyes and a mouth that's just covered in chocolate and he might say no. <laughs> now that's a lie, but it's also an obvious lie, isn't it? The, the remnants of the Tim Tam around the outside of his mouth show us that he's lying. They're not the most dangerous sort of lies. The most destructive lies contain an aspect of truth. The most dangerous lies are lies that resonate with the truth. Now, I wonder if you've ever seen a video of an opera singer breaking a wine glass with their voice. I'd love to be able to do it on camera for you today, but I just can't. If you tap a glass, it'll make a sound um, as the vibrations in the glass kind of resonate within it. And if you can sing well, and if you can sing at the right frequency, they call it a sympathetic vibration starts up within that glass. The glass will hum, and then if you can sing loud enough, the glass will at one point just shatter and burst into a million pieces. That happens because the opera singer's voice is producing a sympathetic resonance within the glass. You know, I reckon the devil works his lies in a similar way. He whispers to us in a way that resonates within us, with a sympathetic resonance. I found Tim Keller to be really helpful here. He suggests that there are two main categories of lies that the devil tells. The first category involves lies of temptation. Essentially what the devil's really doing here is, is telling us that God is merciful and loving and kind. Now that's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth bit. But then the lie is found in the devil hiding the judgment of God from us. The second category of lies are what Tim Keller calls lies of accusation. See, here the devil is whispering to us that God is stern and fierce and a judgmental God. And he lies to us by hiding the mercy and the love of God. I wonder if the temptation lies or the accusation lies resonate more clearly with you today. Sun Tzu says, know your enemy. The devil is a crafty schemer and a roaring lion, and he works by feeding us lies that resonate within something inside us. And to be honest, on our own, I don't think we can stand against the devil, because these are powerful spiritual forces. And yet, we're not on our own, are we? Our God is a mighty God. We stand in his power and in his own armour. Let me keep reading from our passage today. This is what it goes on to say. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after all you have, after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted 
with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's a cracking picture, isn't it, this? The armour of God. God, it's the armour that God himself wears. He's pictured that way in Isaiah 59. It is impressive reading, isn't it? A belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with readiness that come from peace, and a shield of faith, topped off with a helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. What I want you to notice in all of this is that the armour of God Well, it really is the gospel as it's already been presented to us in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 4, Paul tells us that we were taught in him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus. And it's the truth that we speak in love to others in order to grow the church. That's the, the belt that's buckled around us. It's the truth that will protect us from lies. Now, Now, we haven't got time today, unfortunately, to go through each aspect of the armour. But can you see here, truth, righteousness, faith, the word of God are things that protect us from the lies that the devil whispers into our ear. So the gospel then is the armour that we need to stand against the wiles and the schemes and the craftiness of the devil. Tim Keller, in a sermon I listened to on this passage, recommended a book written by a man called Thomas Brooks, who was a a Puritan. He lived back in the 1600s. The book is called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. In this book, Brooks outlines some of the lies the devil uses and some of the remedies that we might adopt to combat these lies. In other words, he helps us to see how the armour works. In the time that we have remaining this morning, I just want to work through just a few of those lies and then their remedies with you. We're going to start by looking at the lies of temptation. Remember, that's one of those categories uh, that hides the judgment of God from us. Here's what Brooks says. The devil presents the bait and hides the hook. Presents the bait and hides the hook. Now, if you want to see an example of this really clearly in the Bible, Read Proverbs chapter 7, verses 7 to 23. There a woman seduces a young man with food and fine linen and perfume and smooth talk. The bait is presented. And the young man wanders into the trap, not seeing the hook, not recognising that it will cost him everything he has. Marriage, reputation, finances, it'll take his life. Now, it might be a different hook for you. It might be wealth. It might be social success. It might be power. But the devil shows the bait and hides the hook. And Brooks says the greatest remedy here is to flee from every evil desire, to have feet readied in the gospel, taking us away from every opportunity that we might have to get hooked on sin. Don't go to that late night party. Don't open that website. Don't read that book. Don't even entertain how you might spend that ill-gained money. 
Instead, have the belt of truth buckled on tightly so that we might not be trapped by the devil's lies. Here's another way in which Thomas Brooks sees the devil's schemes working. He says the lie is by showing us the sinful ways of the very best people and then hiding their repentance. Here's what he goes on to say about this. The devil will show us, for example, the adultery of David, the pride of Hezekiah, the impatience of Job, the drunkenness of Noah, and the blasphemy of Peter. But the devil will hide their tears of sorrow and the anguish that goes along with their repentance. So, Noah was a drunk. Surely that makes it okay for me. David was an adulterer. I'm not that bad. Even Peter denied Jesus. The remedy to these lies is the word of God, the full story of these people's lives. See, David was struck down by the weight of his sin. And Peter, when he realized his denial, he wept bitterly. Brooks lists 12 lies the devil tells us that are in this category of temptation. I, I encourage you to buy this book of Thomas Brooks. I, I bought it electronically. It cost me $1.03. And it's really a useful book to help me see how these lies work. Here are just a few more for you. The devil lies to us that our sin is actually a virtue. So we turn pride into self-worth and having good order and neatness and our lives in order. We turn drunkenness into being the life of the party. And there are the lies that might mean that we might be a little unsavory at times, but there are others who are far worse. We might lust a little at times, but we're not actually living in adultery, and so we're okay. A little sin is okay. Or there's the lie that the work of repentance is really easy work. So have your sin now, because repentance is cheap and easy to come by later. These are the lies, but some of them might resonate more with you than others. Here's my encouragement. Put on the armour of God, stand firm, and remember that Jesus has already won the victory. Now, you may not be prone to those type of lies, those lies of temptation. You might be more prone to what Tim Keller calls the lies of accusation. Here's Thomas Brooks again, speaking into these lies of accusation. The device the devil uses is to cause us to pour over our past sin and to be so caught up in it that we lose sight of the work of Jesus. All the devil needs to do is to whisper, that thing you did, God could never really welcome you back. We become so fixated with the disease that we miss the cure, even though it might be there right next to us. What do we do in that case? We put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. Remember that we have been saved. We are made righteous by the work of Jesus and we stand firm. Thomas Brooks has 30 of these lies, or even a few more than that, set out in his books. These are the schemes of the devil. It's a very helpful little book. I would encourage you to pick it up. Today, we've just had a very quick look at the armour of God. I'd love you to keep looking into these words. It's not part of the armour, but I do want to finish this morning by drawing your attention to verses 18 to 20. See, having outlined that we are in a spiritual battle... Paul reminds us to pray. Now, isn't this critical? 
See, we see the battle raging around us. We see it a little bit more clearly today, I hope. And if we see that with clarity, our response must be to call on the Lord who has already won the battle, to speak to him, to plead with him. Paul encourages the church to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I hope you'll do that as you struggle in your battle. Today, we spent a fair bit of time thinking about the spiritual world. I hope it's become just a little bit clearer to you this morning. And having seen the reality of the struggle that is part of the Christian life, you might ask, what are we to do? Well, Paul gives us the answer to that, doesn't he? We are to stand firm, we are to put on the armour of God, and then we are to pray. I'd love you to be praying for our church, that we would be a shining light. Pray for each other that we would not succumb to the devil's lies and the temptations and the accusations that he levels against us. Let me do that now. Father God, we give you great thanks for this book, this letter to the Ephesian church. We thank you that it reminds us that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We thank you that it reminds us that we were once dead in our sins and transgressions, but because of what Jesus has done, we have been made alive. Father God, we ask that you would help us to see with open eyes the spiritual battle that rages around us. Help us not to become ensnared by the schemes of the devil, but rather to pull on your armour and to stand firm, knowing that you are a God who has already won the victory. Please help us to keep turning back to you in prayer and to looking to you as our source of strength and hope. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.